Good morning, church. Happy belated Veterans Day to you all Americans, and uh, what a great time to celebrate that. Let's take a moment before we go any further today and acknowledge and recognize our great, brave veterans here in our midst. Would you do me a favor? If you've served in the Army, Air Force, National Guard, Navy, Marine Corps, any of the branches of service to defend our nation, would you go ahead and stand up right now? Let's have these guys stand. Okay, stay standing, guys, if you would. We're proud of you. Stand up if you can. If you're physically not able, that's fine. We'll cover you anyway. These guys, just take a good look around and and be grateful for the sacrifice they made. And let's pray to God a prayer of thanksgiving, shall we? Gracious God, Father, who created us and gave us this wonderful free nation to worship and pursue you, thank you for men and women who have fought, sacrificed, and given much to defend our freedom. We know it doesn't come easy, and it's not free. Some have paid the ultimate price, and we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for them, and thank you for calling them to defend our nation, and your hand sovereignly protecting us and their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you, veterans. What a, what a great country we have, huh? Now, it doesn't matter who got elected, church. That's, I mean, it matters, you understand. But it, God has all of that under control. God is perfectly capable of doing exactly what he wants to do, no matter who's in the White House, right? No matter what's happening. And so we're grateful for the nation that we do have, because I know as, as bad as it looks sometimes, um, we forget how blessed we are and we look around at some other nations and realize we really truly are blessed. So it's a great week to celebrate our veterans, celebrate our our country and all that God's given us and remain committed to pray for our nation. Should we do that together? Yeah, we'll be praying for our nation. Okay, take your Bibles if you will, take them out and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians in the first chapter and um, we're going to continue this concept of, of the prayer that Paul prayed to the Ephesian church. The truth is this, no matter who you are today, what your background is, your past, where you've come from, no matter what's going on in your life, all the details and circumstances, no matter wherever you are, God has a plan in your life for you to discover more. There's more of God available for you. There's more of what God can do before you. Doesn't matter where you've been. It may be a church life growing up in the church. It may be a life where you never even knew what a church was. Wherever you are at, there is always, God is always working a place for us to go where he has not yet shown some part of himself, where he's, he's not been, we've not been able to see him do that or be that. There's always more that God desires for us. Church, that's exciting. That's encouraging to us to know that there's more and more to experience of God always. Write this down. God expects his church to experience his power. God expects for his church to experience his power. The real question is, what does his power look like and how much of his power and how big is this power that the church should expect? And that's what we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 1 as Paul prays, for the church to experience more of God. 
So pick up with me, if you will. We're going to start right there. We read verse 18 last week. Remember that the highs of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, right, of his inheritance in the saints. Now today is just a continuing closing, the conclusion of that prayer. Here it is, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, that's the verse we're going to look at today, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only to this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, now you got to understand, first of all, we gotta, we got to put this in proper context. The prayer here is for specifically the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this relationship that as the church is in Christ and follows Christ, then Christ is then able to do things that only God can do in and through the church. And this verse 19 is so important, we're going to just isolate it today. Next week, we're going to talk about verses 20 through 23. And let me just time out. Let me just a little commercial break here already. Let me invite you to consider who you know in your life that you might have come with you next Sunday. Invite a friend, a neighbor, a family member, an acquaintance, the person at the grocery store, somebody. I'm going to share personal testimony next week. I've never shared this with you. This is some stuff that you probably don't know about me, church. And it's going to be in the context of what powerful things God can do in our lives. And it's a wonderful chance for us to invite especially friends and family, neighbors whose lives have been broken, who maybe don't have hope, they're discouraged. Look out for them this week and invite them, bring them. Let's fill this place and I have, I, I assure you, a word from God that will encourage them, bless them, and probably make them want to come back too. So a little commercial announcement for next week. But this week we're isolating this verse 19. Look at this, two things about the, the power of God. We're going to look at this power that he has. And, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Just look at all the powerful-like terms and phrases and words that are in that verse. The two things that I want to show you are, first of all, the nature of this power that we're talking about. Power that he wants for us to experience in the future. What kind of power? Now, to, to see that, I really want to break down these words. Now, sometimes looking at the original language and defining the words is a little bit boring. I get it. It's dry. It's like, do we have to like, have a Greek lesson every time we come to church? And no, we don't have to have a Greek lesson every time we come to church. If you want that, stay afterwards. We'll, we'll arrange one for you. But what we do want to do is really look at the words and say, in, in the original language, what is this really trying to convey? So that we get the, the full impact of what it's saying. So, so let's break these down a little bit. I've, I've underlined them there on the overhead. You can look at them in your Bible too if you want. Let's look at the first one, the word greatness. And what is the exceeding greatness? That word, uh, that word megathos is a word that refers to force. Um, let's imagine that there's a scale. You remember scales and, uh, and you have something that's like, like in uh, Jerusalem. There is a scaled model of the city and the temple and um and it's just you know it just takes up probably something the size of this room and you can stand up high and look down on it and see the whole city of jerusalem scaled and so you know the biggest building on the model is you know 
probably this big, right? But what that represents, it's scaled to a building that is ginormous, huge. That's the powerful force of the difference here. It's you know this much, but you only know the scale. The exceeding greatness, the greatness, megathos, is huge in comparison. Much more than we know or experience here today. The second word, of his power. The first use of the word power in our language. This is the word in the original language. I won't scare you off by saying it's Greek, but it really is. It's all Greek to me, right? Dunamis. Now, what does that word sound like? Dynamite, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, it's the word from which we get our word dynamite. This is a word that is a a significant explosive force, almost violent strength, so powerfully overwhelming that it can only be described by something that is like TNT or dynamite, explosion. And I have a short video clip that I want to show you. This, I just picked this off the internet this week, some TNT, some uh, dynamite. If you guys would show that quickly, we'll have that. Um, you, you could just see, get an idea of the explosive force of this kind of power that it's referring to. These guys are going to blow up this building. <laughs> power going on watch the guy on the on the right hand side of the screen that's running away to stand in its midst. It's so violent in its force. Now that's the word here, guys. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint a picture that I want you to see. I'm just trying to show you what the, the verse really says to us. The uh, exceeding greatness, that huge scale of his power, God's explosive, dynamite, dynamic, forceful power, able to do whatever and anything he can that leaves us, literally not even on our feet sometimes. And then we have the word working, of his power toward us who believe according to the working. And that's, that's just a word for strong or, uh, or, or dominating over. You know, um, in, a, in a baseball game, like, you know, <laughs> like the Cubs. When they dominate, no, it's not even true, they, they times didn't even dominate, they barely made it, Right? But, but they made it. You know when a team just dominates the other team? Like, they are so superior in strength, in, in deed, that the other team doesn't even have a chance. They can't even rise to the level of comparison. They're just dominated over. That's the idea here of, of, of his working mighty. 
This is a word for uh, endurance. I, um, in, we're just Veterans Day, so veterans, do you remember basic training, whatever basic training you went through, law enforcement officers? You, you, maybe you've been through a camp like this where it's extensive exposure to more than you can normally do, right? I remember when I went into boot camp, I, was, I came out of high school, I was pretty good size. I played football, believe it or not. I was buff, you know, had big arms, and I was really proud of how big I was. I was going to go join the Marine Corps, and I fit right in, right? And then when I got out, my friends laughed. You know that little boot camp picture where they, you're all sweaty, and they slap a hat on you and a fake shirt, and they take your picture at the end of boot camp. And I look like, they said, where did you go, Ethiopia? You look like you've been starved today, you little scrawny bud, little sunken in cheeks, skinny. And I remember saying, you, did, you went in stronger than you came out. But it actually wasn't true. I came out stronger than when I went in. What I'd gained was a, a, a long-lasting sense of strength that endures, an enduring strength, to be able to continue to do it over and over and over and over again with the same level of intensity and never wear out. That's what this word is talking about. His power, a word that refers to efficiency. Do you remember... Uh, the idea when you first rode a bicycle and hopefully you had gears on it because the first hill you came across, you were in like higher gear, like nine or ten, you got to, and all of a sudden you couldn't keep that pace and go up the hill. And the steeper the hill got, the harder it was. So what did you do? You shifted down the gears and the sprockets used like gear system, like mechanical advantage to be able to do more efficiently what you need to do. And you remember, and then you were pedaling really fast and easy to, like just climbing right up that hill. Think about those gear systems that, that draw entire cement, concrete bridges up. How are they able to do that? There's, there's no strength in the world we could just lift those, those bridges, right, over the canal. But, but because of the sprockets and the, the efficiency that they use, they're able to do more than you normally can do. That's the idea here. Now think about all these terms that the scriptures use to describe something that God wants for you to experience. Does that change your expectation of what church might look like? How about your week this week? Does it change your expectation of what you might encounter this week or what you should expect this week? If you were expecting, and what is that you would receive, what is that huge, largest scale, mega, dynamic, violent strength force like TNT with energy and efficiency that's superhuman origin, strong and enduring, never giving up, always high level of capacity, dominating over everything that comes against you, mighty indeed, this week. That's the nature. Now, come on, church, that's the nature of the power that God wants for us to experience. Now, if you're honest today, like me, you're probably going, that's not what I'm living. That's what, not what I know in this obstacle in my life, this struggle in my life. It's not what a lot of our churches know, but that's what he wants for them to experience. Now, the, the other part that we have to understand about this power, the other aspect is the recipient. Who can receive this power? Does anybody want to have that kind of power in their lives? I just want to check in. Anyone? Two people? Wow. Okay, what do the rest of you want? Boring? Like you want to be drowned in every wave that comes across life? Do you want to dominate and have victory over your obstacles, over the things that get in the way of life, over suffering, over failure, 
right? How would you like to have dominating power over the potential failures in your life and the obstacles that come across your path when God calls you to do something? How would you like for those mountains to be absolutely exploded, removed out of the way? Like we saw in the video, right? That, that's what he's talking about here. Well, it's, it's a specific application for a specific group. Here it is. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now watch this. Toward us who believe. The recipient of this power is for those who believe. Those who believe. Now, now listen. Because this is, I think, where churches kind of miss the boat today. Say, so, well, we believed. We're all believers. We have to really see what kind of belief he's talking about here. There's, there's two different possibilities. There's, first of all, the past tense version of believe, right? That refers to a one-time event. You believed one time. Well, you want to see that? Look at verse 13. Just right up above. Look at it there. In whom you also trusted... After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. That's a past tense. He's talking about when you trusted Jesus Christ. When you received the gospel, having believed at that point. Remember we looked at this verse. You were sealed by the spirit of God. Remember that? That was a a very distinct point in time that's in the past. When you trusted Christ as savior, you received the Holy Spirit of God. It happened in the past. This who believe in verse 19 is in the present tense. More specifically, it's present active participle. But what does that really mean? It means that it is a continuing action. It is a belief that wasn't just initiated and experienced one time in the past, but also on a continual basis. We say, I've been working for such and such company for 25 years, plan to until I retire. I've been working for Cross Point Community Church for the last year and a half. Hopefully I'll be here until you bury me. Some of that might be sooner than you think. Some of you are thinking, keep it up, buddy. Right? We'll be burying you anytime soon now. No, what does that mean? It means I've been working here. Well, it means in the past. There's a reference to the past. Because I am an employee here. You are an employee of the place that you work at. But you still go to work every single day. It's an ongoing, you haven't been fired or buried yet. You're still doing it every day. It's an ongoing, continual action. That's what he's talking about here. This power is available for those of you that continue tomorrow and the next day to believe God at his word. To trust and believe that God is capable of that kind of power. If we don't believe he's capable of that kind of power, watch this, watch this. Even though we might be saved, even though we might be Christians, even though we might have believed him at one point in the past, we will not experience that power in the future. It's connected to belief, to faith, for those who believe. You see why the church isn't, I mean, I'm speaking generally here, right? There's always exceptions, and maybe we'll be one. But the church in general today isn't experiencing that kind of explosive power that it once did in history. We're just kind of like falling down to kind of look like the rest of the world. We're just sort of, in some cases, just a club with a cross out front that says church. We don't want to be that. That's not what he says he wants his church to experience. That's not the kind of person he wants you to be. 
recipient of his power is important because it tells us it's for those who believe. Now turn to Mark chapter 11, if you will. Mark 11 shows us what this power for those who believe looks like. Jesus talks about it. If you remember, he's coming into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry. And he passes by a fig tree. And um, it was not a satisfactory fig tree. Didn't give him what he wanted, so he cursed it. Remember? And a little later on, they walk by the tree and they notice that it's looking pretty bad. It looks like it's been cursed. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Now, did everybody read along or listen to that, what Jesus is saying? Very clearly, he's saying, if you have faith, if you believe, you can have availability, verse 19 of Ephesians 1, of such power that it would be like literally moving a mountain and casting it into the sea. Like supernatural, dynamic force, God power we're talking about. I mean... At face value even, just first look, isn't that what he's saying? Something? Yeah, look it. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Can you just hear that? Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe. Believe. You see, it's the faith. Now, I know a lot of us, here today, we're a little scared of that concept. It's, it, it's, it sounds like, you know, a perversion of doctrine that's quite popular today, actually. Blab it and grab it. Name it, claim it, put it on the wall and frame it. Whatever you say you want, you should get it. I want more money. I want success. I want health. I should be able to just speak that, and if I have enough faith, get it. Well, we already know that that's a perversion of doctrine. That's a perversion of what the Scriptures teach because it falls in the context of other teachings on what faith looks like as well, right? But, let me just say but right there, okay? But it does not mean that God doesn't want to do powerful, supernatural things in our midst if we have faith. We're so afraid of that because of because what it might look like if it goes out there in, in, in the flesh, and in carnality, we're so afraid of that that we run so far to the other side away from it that we fail to experience God doing anything in our midst anymore. Church, I want you to know, Jesus tells us there are powerful supernatural things at stake here that he wants to do in our midst if we will believe and ask him and pray. He's a God of miracles. He's a God still of restoring things that are hopelessly broken. 
where there's no solution or where the obstacle is so insurmountable that we are just tempted just to walk away and give up. That's God's specialty. Ask me, he says, and watch. Many Christians have believed in God for salvation but fail to believe God in their salvation. On a daily basis. Ongoing. Well, let's look at this mountain moving power for a minute. There's three things briefly I want to show you about it. First of all, what about when the mountains are bigger? What about when there are bigger mountains? Have you ever been in life, maybe it's this week for you, Maybe it's recently, I don't know, maybe it's still coming. Have you ever been in a situation where there's some obstacle? Right? In this passage, it's clear that Jesus uses the mountain to refer to an obstacle. It's in your way. Right? Remember the context, folks. The, the withered fig tree is very symbolic of the nation of Israel. It has to do with him, the triumphal entry coming to what he's going to do. Die on the cross for our sins. Provide substitutionary payment for our sins by grace. Restore mankind. In part, that happened in the context of Israel not owning up to their responsibility and being the nation that God called them to be. They rejected him. The fig tree represents Israel and he curses that fig tree and it withers. So the bigger picture here is also, does God still have a plan for Israel? Yeah, June, I like that. June says, yes, he does. God still has a plan for the chosen people, the nation of Israel, in the future. Well, listen, that's all part of what he's doing here. There's a mountain in the way. The disciples would be like, well, how on earth? I mean, the, 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 the Jews totally rejected you, Lord, and they're going to suffer for it. There's no hope for Israel anymore. There's no hope for the promises that you gave Israel. And in that context... Jesus teaches them, listen, if there's a mountain and you say to that mountain, this insurmountable, no way, impossibility, you go into the sea and you believe it, God is able to do it. Sometimes those mountains are so big, the only thing that will ever move them is prayer. Well, this, I can't believe this big situation. This struggling relationship that is so much stress on me. This circumstance that just is, just, I, there's no way for me to get past that. I'm just ready to give up and walk away. I don't see God's mountain moving power. And I've spoke into the situation and tried to move it? My friend, can I ask you a question? Have you committed to pray by faith unceasingly until God does move it? Right? It takes prayer. There is wonderful, powerful, available God stuff for those that will take their faith into prayer and ask God to move the mountain. Ask God to 
overcome the obstacle. There's no way. I don't have what it takes. It's an impossible situation. God, you've called me to do this, but I can't get there. It's impossible. What about prayer? We've asked the church to pray for our neighbors. I want to see neighbors coming to church and and coming to know Jesus and his love, don't you? Don't you, church? I mean, I really, truly want to see that. Just, let me just, another rabbit, time out. Let me just let you in on a little secret. Getting people to come and join what God is doing here and trust Christ as their Savior has nothing to do with how good a preacher I am or am not. It doesn't. Like, there's not enough strategizing and, and creative planning. And I mean, we do all that we can to, to eliminate what barriers we can eliminate. But there's still a huge barrier that exists between your neighbor and coming in here. And the only way to overcome that barrier is through prayer. We've opened up the church during the week and invited you to come pray. That's why. Would you come pray? Would you, would you make a small sacrifice? Instead of going to Starbucks, instead of running down there, instead of doing whatever, just come 10 minutes this week. Look at the schedule in your worship folder. Come in right here. Get the list of names and pray for those people. That the mountains of sin in their life would be removed by grace. Sometimes it just takes continual asking. Um, sometimes you're barking up the wrong tree. Ooh. Sometimes it's actually a bigger mountain that God wants to remove. I wonder how many of us, you know, if we were able to just see from God's perspective in our life, could you imagine? And there's, there's your path, right? There you are, and there's your path, and God said, okay, follow this path. I want you to go here and experience me here. And in between that, there's this big mountain. He knows you're going to get there. You haven't seen it yet. You're, you're getting to this mountain. He already has a plan, and God's sovereign mind and ability to remove that mountain for you when you ask. But coming to the mountain, <laughs> I wonder if some of us are just kind of getting lost. We're going around and around in circles, and we're so paralyzed by the thousands and thousands of little molehills that are in our way. Oh, I can't go there. Oh, man. There's a little hill, too. Oh, this is not comfortable. That can't be right. This is not convenient. I'm not going to do that. And God, remove this little molehill here. It's uncomfortable for me. I don't like it. It's, it's a distraction for me. Would you move this? Would you move this? Sometimes God is leading us. See, the prayer does this. God is leading us to face the other direction. That's not even the mountain you're supposed to be looking at. Why am I going to remove that? And turn this way. And you see that monstrous, impossible mountain? That's the one we're going for. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays. To the Father. Lord, if it's possible, what does he say? Remove this cup. Take this cup from me. Remove this mountain. He knows what he's about to face. Hey, I guess Jesus didn't have enough faith. He still went to the cross, he was still beaten. He died. What's up with that? He prayed, remove this cup, Lord. Take it from me. 
what was going on. I want you to see this. This is what Jesus learned in the prayer. Oh, there's a much bigger mountain at stake. It's called the mountain of sin. It's called the obstacle between every man, woman, and child and everlasting life with God that is impossible to get over. That's a pretty big mountain, huh? The one that for 6,000 years man could never overcome on his own after trying over and over and over again to comply to all the legal requirements of the law and failing every single time. That's a huge mountain. And Jesus said, remove this mountain. The father said, no, son, this is the mountain. And I will remove it through your death and through your resurrection. Um, I would think resurrection is a pretty stiff dose of power, wouldn't you? Right? As a matter of fact, when we look at Ephesians, when we go back to our verse, the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe according to the working of his mighty power, that verse, when we go back, the next work is, verse that we look at next week is going to say, the verse says this, the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. That's called resurrection power. Is available for you. Stay tuned next week. But look at this. There sometimes are other things that God wants to do. And the reason it's so important to pray is because the prayer aligns us with God. The prayer takes us and puts us in the right position and shows us the great power that God wants to do. It's not that he doesn't want to do miracles in your life. It's that he wants to do the miracles that are according to his plan and his power. Why? So that he can use your life to do the most good for his glory. That little molehill isn't going to do much good. That's not efficient use. Sometimes God will give you the grace to climb the mountain and go right over the top. In other words, it's not going to be removed and out of your way. You're just going to soar over the top of it. Isn't that cool? Can you imagine? The mountaintop is where we have that obstacle underneath our feet. Wouldn't you like to put your obstacles underneath your feet? Wouldn't you like to put them on the backside of your path? I overcame that obstacle. You know, the thing about the mountaintop is that's where God's glory exists. On the mountaintops, right? Think of all the mountaintop instances in Scripture, all that God did on the mountaintops. Mount Moriah is a mountaintop. That's where God's glory is seen. So listen, when you come across your obstacles and those big mountains are in your way and God's calling you and you say, there's no way it's impossible, go and pray believing God will move the mountain. And he will either give you the grace to overcome it, put it under your feet so you see his glory, or he'll move it right out of the way so you see his power. Either way, you get to experience something that God only does in your life. Oh, you don't want to, I don't want to miss that, do you? I don't want to miss that, that power that God has to show me and to show others how strong he is, how wonderful he is, how glorious he is. How holy he is. There's more available. You're not done yet. Wherever you are, you are not done. Sometimes there are bigger mountains. The second point I want to show you is there are also many different mountains in our lives. Many different obstacles. I bet if we went around with a microphone and had each person share, what's the big obstacle in your life right now? What's the big obstacle in your path? We would have so many different answers, wouldn't we? 
I mean, almost as many different answers as there are people in the room. And some of them would be seemingly small to us, although they might be very large to the person sharing. Some of them would be enormous, and we would think, but by God's grace, I hope I never have to face that. I don't know what I would do. Hey, you know, some of you are going through obstacles like that, where when I pray for you, I am so overwhelmed. God, I hope I never have to face that. What's, that's amazing. I can't even... And I was renewed this week to read this on behalf of some of you that I know that are going through trials and difficulties and there are huge mountains in your way. He said, but God, you called me to do this. Yeah, he did. I'm praying for this prayer for you. All kinds of different mountains. Listen to this, would you? I'm going to read just a, uh, an excerpt from a passage in Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn there sometime and look, read it for yourself. But I'm going to skip through. Listen to the different kinds of mountains that God has moved. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he didn't even see death. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned, prepared the ark for saving his household. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went to a place where he didn't even know where he was going. By faith, Sarah, being of old age, conceived. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Samuel, the prophets, David, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong and became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Think of all the different instances and circumstances of those mountains. There are all different kinds. Today, probably some of the most common have to do with relationships, don't they? Hey, you know what? Relationships are not easy. Has anybody found that they're very easy for you? I would love to learn from you. Anyone? Like, yeah? Okay. Teach me, because relationships are are hard for me. You, You know that your marriage, you want everybody to think it's perfect, but it's really not. Right? The fly on the wall in your home knows that your marriage has some struggles in it. Right? There are some mountains sometimes between even the most intimate relationships. Single parents today, what mountains they have in relationships with their children with the people in their workplace. What about workplace relationships for all of us? Has anybody gotten along perfectly with everybody you've ever worked with? Me neither. I gotta work with Matt and Ben. (laughs) Right? I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Yeah, that must be really tough, right? That's about as good as it gets. Well, they got to work with me, so there's problems in the relationship. You understand? <laughs> Workplace is, is where you spend so much of your day, those of you that are working right now. And listen, maybe it's the place where you volunteer or where you're trying to volunteer. And, and there's just that struggle that just I can't get through this, this person. They're, they're an obstacle. They're in the way. Our relationship is always getting sour, and it's not ever sweet anymore. 
hey, those happen at church too sometimes. There are enormous obstacles. In-laws and exes and everything else that we face today. What about finances? Let's talk about the elephant in the room, church. Who here has never had significant financial trouble? Wow. Well, God bless you, the two of you. Right? There's always two in every crowd. Well, God bless you, but that leaves another 299 of us that have had times in our life where providing for ourselves and our families, paying the bills, has had some impossible obstacles. And maybe it's debt, and it's just like you got so much debt and so much trouble, there's no way to get out of that. There's no way you could ever be free. Right? Those are, those are obstacles. Those are mountains. They get in the way. Life itself brings weekly obstacles. I mean, if you're living life, if you're out there scheduling today. I, you know what? Our, parent, our kids are not that old. But, but I remember it was tough keeping up with the three of their little lives and all their little schedules, just having three. And that was, you know, ten five in some cases years ago, it's, it's worse. It gets harder every day to, to manage a schedule, especially for families, right? And the more kids we have, sometimes the harder it is to schedule. How on earth do you keep a balance with all that? And then if you're a single parent on top of that, huge mountains, impossible, impossible. Brokenness, failure, You can never get to the place where you're going to try that again because the failure last time hurt so much. Probably more of us than we want to admit are in that boat. That's a huge mountain. I have one of those mountains and I can't imagine it's going to take this explosive power of God's superhuman ability. The impossible situations in our lives. Hey, let me just encourage you, church. Okay? Some of you need to hear this. Not from me, but from God. God will move those mountains. God will work his supernatural, explosive, dynamic, enduring power in your life. God wants to do that. And in some cases has led you to that mountain so that he can do that. In some cases wants for that mountain to be removed so that the next phase of ministry or life and godliness and fruitfulness and joy is available to you. God wants to move the mountains in our lives, folks. Well, it brings us to the final point to help us identify these things. There are many mountains that are between you and God. Let me just give you a little exercise this week. I'm really hoping this changes our lives. You know what I mean? Like it makes it better for you next week. If you're facing an obstacle, a little exercise. Draw on your outline card there, if you're taking notes, a big mountain. Just whatever mountain that's big looks like to you, draw it right there. Just, or if you're not drawing, imagine it. It's, it's this. And it's enormous. All right? Maybe it's not so enormous. Maybe it's just a mountain and it's in front of you. 
Here's what I want you to do. Just for a moment, ask for the Holy Spirit's help right now. I'll show you this because he can see everything. Just for a moment, see what is on the other side of that mountain. What do you imagine to be on the other side? What if God did remove that mountain? What does that mean for you? Why? Here's what that does. In some cases in my life, the mountain that I'm laboring over and so anxious about and consumed by, if I look on the other side of that mountain, will take me to a place that's farther away from God. Are you with me? Guess what? God doesn't want to move that mountain. I would love to have a new sports car. I'd love to have a giant house with a swimming pool and servants and the whole bit. This is not me. I'm pretending I'm somebody, okay? I could care less. But there are things that I want. I won't tell you. I would love to have, right? That's a, there's a mountain between me and that success and getting it. Listen, if I got some of that stuff, that would not be helpful for me. That would not be helpful for my ministry. It would not be helpful to accomplish what I know God's called me to do. It's not in the path to go where God wants me to go. So all I have to do, it's this simple, folks. When I'm facing the wrong mountain, all I have to do is ask God, where do you want me so that I can turn and face the right mountain? And if you are already facing the right mountain, then what you're learning today is start praying and by faith ask God to remove that mountain. Guys, I don't know how to be more practical with God's word than that. You see, because you got to end up putting the mountains that are supposed to be there between you and God. In other words, where is God calling you? Do you remember the uh, example we read about in Hebrews 11 very quickly? He led them and they crossed over the sea on dry land. Like leading all God's people into the sea, that's impossible. They would all drown. They got to get to the other side. That's a huge mountain. God removed that mountain entirely, supernaturally, by walling up the water on both sides and allowed them to walk through on dry ground. Hey, that really happened. How did it happen? By God's power. Why did God do it? Because there was something that God wanted to do in their lives on the other side of the sea. It wasn't random. That's what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 11. There's hope for Israel, this cursed, withered fig tree. There's hope for you when you run across the mountains and impossible situations trying to accomplish what God wants you to do as well. If you'll turn with me, last passage in Zechariah, back in the Old Testament, not very far back, right? Zechariah chapter 4, a little reminder here, hopefully this will help you. Sometimes we're facing the wrong mountains, church, right? You turn to Zechariah 4. Okay. And we face the right mountains, they might even be bigger. They don't move. The little ones, the wrong ones, they don't move. That molehill's not moving. God, I need you to move this. It's the wrong mountain. But I need you to move this. It's the wrong mountain. And here's what we do. All right, it's not moving. This faith thing doesn't work. And we walk away discouraged and defeated. And many of us never try to do anything impossible again. 
Because God didn't move the wrong mountain. But if we turn and face the right mountain, even though he didn't act a bit where you thought he might, he's prepared to do something glorious and powerful in your life. Zechariah, there's a guy named Zerubbabel. Parents, please don't name your kids that. That's just torture. Zerubbabel. Right? And then uh, he was challenged by God to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed. Right? Old Testament. Solomon's temple being rebuilt. And it's only half rebuilt and it was impossible. Right? Hey, I know what he felt like a little bit. I mean, it's not the temple. But sometimes I walk around our lovely, wonderful church property with these great buildings that I love so much. I love them. I love every inch of the property that we have here. But some of it's falling apart. And sometimes I get reports from Chaplain Jim and from the admin team, and I read those and I go, oh my goodness, how are we going to do that? That's impossible. The real question is, does God want to do that? Because it's not impossible for him. And that's what he's telling Zerubbabel here. Verse 6 of chapter 4. An angel, a messenger of the Lord comes, and he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. That means, yes, God did it. Yes, God did it. The reminder is this, not by might, my might, not by power, your power, but by my spirit, not by our might and power, not by our strength. You see what we do sometimes, church, is we try to help God out. Lord, if I'll just, you know, you're busy right now. Let me just help you. And we start messing with it. You know I've learned about something that's holy? Holy means of God. Other than us. Other than godliness. Pure, holy, right? Here's what I learned. The moment we find something holy and we put our grubby, dirty little fingers on it, it's no longer holy. The moment we take our lives that God has called to be holiness and decide to do with our life whatever we want to do, it's no longer holy. It's contaminated. It needs to be cleansed again. Renewed. I know it's counterintuitive. That means it doesn't feel like this should be right. But here's what I want you to see. When you know you're facing the right mountain. What's on the other side of that? God's will, God's glory, God's plan, his promises, right? Are you with me? We're almost done. Stay with me now. Don't check out yet. On the other side of this mountain, I know, is where God is leading me to go. He's over there. He's working. He wants me to do this. Now watch. Rest in faith. Rest in faith. 
You don't lift a finger to move that mountain until God says so. Sometimes God will ask us to lift a finger. Sometimes we'll wake up in the morning and go, well, that solution was never even a possibility yesterday. How in the world did that happen? Church, let God be God in our lives. He's perfectly capable. And he wants to show us. There's something better in your life. There's something yet to come that you have never seen before. We saw it last week. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The things that God has prepared for those that love him and who are called according to his purposes. God wants to do something fresh, something big. Will you find it? Will you line yourself up with the right mountain? If you're facing it right now, will you rest in prayer and believe that God will move that mountain for you? Let's pray. Lord, before us is a path. We're so thankful and grateful that you help us walk this life. The path of life that you call us to. Help us to see what that is right now. You're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me invite you to do that right now. Sin is a mountain that you cannot overcome. But it can be taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. His death on your behalf. And you pray like this, God, I need forgiveness. It's a mountain. I can't get over it. I can't do it. I can't obey you. I can't be good enough. Jesus died on the cross for me and shed his blood for my sins. And, and this morning I trust by faith and believe. That mountain of sin is cast into the sea. For others of us, this week, Lord, believing you continually. Lord, show me where to believe you, to trust you. Show me what obstacles in my life you've allowed so that you might show your exceeding great, mighty power on my behalf. And I rest trusting that you'll do that today. In this situation, in that circumstance, relationships, my finances. Thank you, God. We believe you this morning as a mountain-moving God who's worthy of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, take your chat cards, if you would, that Pastor Matt called your attention to. Right on the back of that card, your response to God this morning. If the ushers are going to come forward at this time, if you guys would come up, we could put those response cards, those chat cards in the offering plate. Hey, what mountain is God asking you? Write it down on there. Put it as an offering. I'm going to believe you, God. I'm going to trust you. Maybe you're interested in uh, baptism or church membership or um, serving in an area of the church. Write all that on that chat card. That's how you can communicate with us and with the Lord this morning. And then let me ask you to do this, church. Let me ask you to be faithful about your finances. The question is, do you trust God with your finances? Whatever obstacle there might be, I guarantee you, Malachi says this, that if you will give to the Lord his first, put that tithe 
in the offering plate with joy unto the Lord this morning. He himself will move the mountains on your behalf. He will provide for your every need. That's what the tithe is. It's our celebration of faith and obedience giving to God. Put that in the offering plate. The guys are going to pass the plates all the way down the aisle, so you might have to stretch a little bit. We're going to try to make sure everybody has a chance to give this morning. And Chaplain Jim, would you lead us in prayer? Father, we just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. This week, I pray that mountains will be moved, Lord. We just thank you for the opportunity to, this morning to give a little bit back to you, Lord. I ask that you would richly bless our church and you continue to just be generous givers, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity and just ask these things in your name. Amen.